0: Before we begin today, I'd like to say a very heartfelt thank you to Armand Tanzarian for becoming a lizard person and supporting the podcast. If you want to support the podcast and get a shout out, head over to patreon.com forward slash Ikeland. Welcome to the lizard people Armand. The world needs to hear this, showing how these reptilian bloodlines in this Chittahooli, this reptilian group, expanded their power across the world. This is what this nonsense is all about. all about. There are lies. There are big lies. They are. There are enormous lies. There are gigantic whoppers. You're dealing with people you cannot rationally have a conversation with. Welcome to Ikeland, the podcast where I, Thomas Robertson, he him, take you on a journey into the world of British conspiracy theorist David Icke, a self-confessed, tireless campaigner for truth. Today we push on with the trap. And we learn more about the Dastardly Cult. But before we get to that, I want to uh, share some good news. Share some funny news. So I bought a second-hand copy of David Ike's long-out-of-print autobiography in the light of experience. So uh, I had to track it down online, which um, took me longer than I expected, actually. And um, it's quite pricey. This copy wasn't. Um, I picked this up for about 20 bucks, uh, But there was some on there going for like $600. like who's a diehard enough David Icke fan to pay 600 bucks for his out of print, out of date autobiography. But, um, what really made my month was, uh, when it arrived and I had no idea when I bought this, but when it arrived, I opened it and (laughs) (laughs) hilariously it's autographed. (laughs) Uh, So inside the front cover to Shelley, love David Icke. Fantastic. I feel like, you know, David Icke and I have both held this book at some point, you know, we're connected through this, (laughs) through this crappy paperback, through space and time, so, ah, hilarious. Anyway, on with the show. So, the capital C cult. What have we learned so far? Well... Ike has told us, and I'll quote him here, that a non-human force is ultimately behind the global cult, with the goal of infiltrating, achieved, and then taking over human society, almost there, through control of perception via technology. This includes a program of mass depopulation, which I have long predicted. The cult's ultimate goal is total human control. In order to do this, the cult has infiltrated and usurped control over important parts of modern society. The cult's most immediate goal is to control what we consider to be reality, limiting our perceptions and dimming our imaginations. Ike repeats his ad nauseum throughout this chapter. Here's a few quotes. All cult influence and control comes from hijacking human perception, and, in turn, perception comes from information. We form our perceptions from information received from whatever source, and What you believe, you perceive, and what you perceive, you experience. It's a feedback loop. Perceive and believe are interchangeable. Behaviour and experience are always the outcome no matter what their order. And, everything is about perceptual control and pursuit of behaviour control, as information leads to perception, which leads to behaviour, which leads to human society, and, most notably, its direction. And, the cult has secured control of government, global finance, and corporate commerce, and most importantly, It has seized ownership of education, the mainstream media, and Silicon Valley platforms. Perception. You would think that the cult would be satisfied, but apparently they aren't. Controlling the world is apparently not enough for the cult. The cult strives to control human experience itself, and the cult's control over the physical world and human society are just means to this end. Ike tells us, People rightly highlight the structure of control through governments, media, corporations, and the organised crime referred to as banking and finance. Go deeper into the rabbit hole, and all these apparently physical phenomena are architects of perception. It's all perception. If you have access to money, you have a certain perception. If you don't, you have a different perception, and not least of your own potential to live the life you desire. What you believe, you perceive, and what you perceive, you experience. It's a feedback loop. Perceive and believe are interchangeable. Behaviour and experience are always the outcome, no matter what their order. Governments and their agencies may appear to be making decisions and laws affecting the population, but at their core, governments are are telling the population what to believe and perceive. Governments are dominated by whole armies of behavioural psychologists today for this very reason. If I'm hammering this point over and over, it's because Ike is like the proverbial dog with a bone and does not let this go. This is the point he returns to over and over, and if I didn't hit you over the head with it, you're really not getting the experience of reading Ike. Now, last episode we learned from Ike how the cult controls governments, corporations, and everything else through the installation of key people in key positions. Ike writes... People don't come to political and other positions of power by accident when they are crucial to making decisions that advance the cult agenda. It's worth exploring this a bit more as Ike names some of these uh, quote-unquote key people, how they attain their quote-unquote key positions, and how they're recruited in the first place. Ike writes, I learned long ago how those who later advance into key positions are developed and programmed from a very early age and selected for what they will eventually do. One of the main cult, prepare them for office organizations is fronted by Klaus Schwab, an economist and mechanical engineer from the cult's World Economic Forum, which has been on the front line of the COVID and climate change hoaxes. Ah uh, yes, the dreaded Klaus Schwab, chairman of the evil World Economic Forum. Conspiracy theorists love to blame this bloke for everything, and Ike is no exception. Schwab, with his co-author Theory Mallarette, and I, I could be mispronouncing that, as I am want to do, is the originator of the term Great Reset. Although the Great Reset was proposed by Schwab and co-author Mallorette as a blueprint for economic recovery after the COVID-19 pandemic, it's perhaps only used now in place of the New World Order as the name of the choice by conspiracy theorists of the, uh, shall we say, dystopian horrors to come. Ike doesn't like the World Economic Forum, Quell surprise. Officially, the WEF, or World Economic Forum, exists to promote cooperation between the private and public sectors. Ike, however, sees it as an organisation that promotes conspiracy between the private and public sectors, and a vector for the cult agenda. Because Klaus Schwab is the chairman of such an evil organisation, he must be the most evil of them all. Or, you know, so Ike's logic goes. Ike is happy to tell us all about Schwab. Klaus Schwab was born in Germany when the Nazis were in power, and it clearly had an impact on him. He progressed rapidly through the cult network as his career and manipulation blossomed, and he became a steering committee member of the cult cusp organisation, the Bilderberg Group, and was the director of the UK Daily Mail Group for five years. He founded the European Management Forum in 1971 when he was only 32, and 440 executives from 31 nations attended the first meeting. Given his lack of international profile, this is remarkable in itself, and other forces had to be at work. No doubt his connections to infamous cult and Bilderberg operative Henry Kissinger, the former US Secretary of State and National Security Advisor, helped things along. Schwab's operation changed its name to the World Economic Forum in 1987, and famously hosts the Cult Gopher Gathering in Davao, Switzerland, every year. This is attended by a who's who in world leadership, political and otherwise, In some 1,500 private jets too, among many other things, demand human society is transformed to save the world from climate change. The WEF attracts funding from some 1,000 multinational cult corporations. Schwab himself is little more than a gopher. And, as with others of his ilk, his unquestioning service to evil has made him extremely rich. Schwab is German, but if the Nazi regime had an impact on him, It was probably to push him closer to his Swiss roots. Schwab's parents moved to Germany, where he was born in 1938, from Switzerland, when his father took up a position promoting Swiss industrial interests to the Nazi regime. His family were not entirely welcome, and were reportedly monitored by the Gestapo, with his mother being interrogated by them at one point for speaking Swiss German to her children. The family moved back to Switzerland before Schwab started school although they later returned to Germany as his father was determined to foster good relations between post-war Germany and Switzerland. All of this was to have two impacts on the young Klaus. He felt more Swiss than German, more of a European citizen than any nationality in particular, and his father's example of promoting international cooperation likely influenced his career in building links between the public-private sectors internationally. I don't think having my mother interrogated by the Gestapo would endear the Nazi regime to me, and Schwab is probably no different. But, you know, maybe Ike thinks differently. However, Ike does gloss over and hand wave Schwab's education and career. He's actually Dr. Schwab, with a doctorate in engineering and a doctorate in economics. Overachiever. He also has a master's in public administration from Harvard. Schwab was a professor of business policy at the University of Geneva for 30 years. Despite Ike's claim, Schwab didn't just come from nowhere, the progression of his career is plain to see if you care enough to look. Now before I get too carried away defending Dr. Schwab, it's true that he was mentored by Henry Kissinger, whom he met at Harvard while undertaking that Masters in Public Administration. As a rule, I don't think there's any safe level of exposure to Kissinger, and Ike is right that Schwab is extremely rich, which is fine, I guess, although... Schwab is paid over a million Swiss francs a year in his position as chairman of the WEF, which is funded in part by contributions from governments across Europe, which means tax dollars are going to the WEF, despite the WEF paying no taxes anywhere itself. That's all pretty lame, but hardly on the level of cult depopulation genocide. Anyway, what role does Schwab play in all this? Ike writes, German author, researcher, and journalist, Ernst Wolff, has highlighted how Schwab established and managed the Young Global Leaders School through which many of the leaders in the COVID hoax years passed on their way to office. No wonder they all have sung from the same cult song sheet throughout the fake pandemic and responded in almost exactly the same way. I get excited any time Ike mentions the source. It happens so infrequently, but it always leads somewhere bonkers. Ernst Wolf is unfamiliar to me, but it sounds like he and Ike are cut from the same cloth. Like Ike. Wolf is a conspiracy theorist who makes outrageous claims. Wolf believes COVID 19 is an engineered crisis by the quote unquote financial elite so that they can benefit from the crisis. Wolf has also been accused of anti Semitism, like Ike. Unlike Ike, however, Wolf was boneheaded enough to get on stage alongside Holocaust revisionists to protest censorship. Ike hasn't sunk so low. Yet. But Ike's endorsement of Wolf isn't doing him any favors. So, About these young global leaders. Ike writes, Schwab established the Global Leaders for Tomorrow School in 1992, which became Young Global Leaders in 2004. This headhunts young, compliant, and psychopathic people to occupy major positions to advance the transformation of human society into a centrally dictated fascist tyranny. Yikes! Sounds grim. Anyway, according to Ike, Wolf has a lot of valuable information about the Schwab-founded Young Global Leaders program, the graduates of which are everywhere. Ike writes, You can have a Schwab graduate invading a country, Schwab graduate condemning him with crocodile tears, literally, and Schwab graduate reporting the event to the public. Talk about keeping it in-house. Author Ernst Wolf says the school appears to include some critics of the system to give the illusion of diversity. Personally, I'm confused about the literal tears of a crocodile being used to condemn someone, but I assume this is some arcane reptilian lizard person shit that I'm not in on. Anyway, Ike spends a few pages naming names of Schwab acolytes. He writes, Names from the first class in 1992 included Angela Merkel, long-time Chancellor of Germany or Angela Merkel, depending on who you ask I guess. Nicolas Sarkozy, who became president of France, and yes, Tony Blair, a cult operative to his fingertips and UK Prime Minister between 1997 to 2007, when he helped to mass murder untold numbers of Iraqis in the 2003 invasion, justified by the lie of weapons of mass destruction. This war criminal has been vocal in his support for every fascist measure of the COVID period, and has never in his life seen a cult ass that he didn't want to lick. God, what a... What a gross ton of phrase. Anyway, Ike continues. Other Schwab graduates have included former Blair aide Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, who turned New Zealand fascist, Health Minister Greg Hunt, who turned Australia fascist, Emmanuel Macron, who turned France fascist, Governor Gavin Newsom, who turned California fascist, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who turned Canada fascist, and Christopher Freeland, his Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Finance in Trudeau's government, who helped turn Canada fascist. Ike goes on, and on and on. You get the idea. Leonardo DiCaprio makes an appearance on the list. Make of that what you will. A few other notable names pop up. Bill, COVID Fascist Gates, Ike's nickname, not mine. Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Jimmy Wales, Jack Ma, Larry Page, Bono, and Chelsea Clinton, who Ike comments... Daughter of the deeply corrupt and evil beyond belief cult operatives Bill and Hillary Clinton that I have been exposing in all their horrors since 1994. Yikes. Ike puts a bow on the whole thing by quoting Mussolini twice. Not two different quotes, mind you. The same quote. Twice. This was the definition of fascism by the Italian fascist Benito Mussolini. Fascism should more appropriately be called corporatism because it is a merger of state and corporate power. Communism is the absorption by the state of corporate power, and this is why I say that fascism and communism are masks of the same face. The expressed goal of cult owned Schwab and the WEF is cooperation between public government and private corporations, and this is where the whole theme, so promoted by Blair and other Schwab graduates of public private partnership, came from. This is a Trojan horse for cult corporations to take over government. Mussolini again. Fascism should more appropriately be called corporatism because it is a merger of state and corporate power. So let's pass the hat around this Christmas and get Ike a new book of quotations by world leaders. Obviously the well is running dry. Now, Michelle Rempel-Garner is an MP in the Canadian House of Commons for the Conservative Party. Rempel-Garner was selected to be part of the Young Global Leaders and wrote an article about her experience. Honestly, she seemed pretty bored and maybe even cynical about the whole thing. Garner writes about the young global leaders, and the WEF more generally. The WEF probably could be better described as a left-of-centre think-tank and lobbying facilitator that hosts annual meetings in the Tony, that's her typo, not mine, Swiss Ski Resort of Davao. There, lobbyists, politicians, the media, and some parts of academia from all over the world mingle in eye-wateringly expensive hotels placed between narrow snow-covered streets. Companies who pay sizable fees to the WEF meetings seemingly get access to members from other industries, key thought leaders, and policy influencers from around the world. In return, the WEF gets the prestige of hosting these types of meetings. For thought leaders and influencers, WEF meetings and access to its broader community can serve as a way to diversify one's knowledge in many different fields. Think LinkedIn for the C-suite, but in person. Rempel-Garner had this to say about her own experiences with the young global leaders. At my own expense, I went to a meeting of the community in spring of 2017 to check out what being a YGL was all about. The meeting was no different in feel from an academic conference, if a bit more global in nature, and with more high-profile politicians and CEOs in attendance. In January 2018, like many other conservative Canadian politicians have in the past, I attended the annual WEF meeting in Davos. To make it affordable for myself, I rented a tiny Airbnb about a 30 kilometer drive outside the conference site. I packed a lunch. I charged through the snow in a parka and boots while the motorcades of world leaders drove by. I watched Justin Trudeau give a speech to an empty theatre with members of the Canadian Parliamentary Press Gallery who had travelled to cover the event. At both these conferences, and in a subsequent session I attended in New York, I attended sessions and respectfully debated with others. Everyone I interacted with was professional and thought-provoking. When I interjected with my right-of-center leanings, no one ejected me into the streets. The WEF is certainly elitist, but, to my eyes, it fell far short of being a cabal bent on global domination. So, all in all, sounds like a pretty dull affair. Lest we forget that Ike doesn't exist in a bubble, and spreading this nonsense can have consequences. Rempel Garner details two separate occasions in this same article when she was confronted, aggressively, by her own account, by men demanding she answer questions about her association with Klaus Schwab. She writes, It was evening. The bar was crowded. We had just finished our meals and my husband, Jeff, spotted the trouble before I did. A thickly built man seated at the bar was paying too much attention to me. He crossed the floor of the restaurant, camera in hand. His actions, and his posture, Clearly said that he was bent on physically harming me, causing an altercation, or both. As he charged forward, he started yelling at us about the World Economic Forum, demanding that I answer questions about my ties to Klaus Schwab. Further on in the article, she writes of her other encounter. My encounter at the restaurant in fall 2021 wasn't the first time I had men aggressively confront me in public about the WEF, and these incidents have taken their toll. Two weeks earlier, a group of men had spotted me door-knocking on the street in Calgary. They spun their car around, jumped out of it, and aggressively came at me demanding that I answer questions about Klaus. Before that, the threats and accusations had been coming into my office's inbox for over a year. If you'd like to see a sample for yourself, check my mentions on Twitter. Now, Garner could be part of the disinformation campaign by Schwab to conceal the real goings-on at the World Economic Forum, but I'm more inclined to believe her account than Ike's. For one, she's actually been to the World Economic Forum and the Young Global Leaders. Not just gone up to the security outside like Ike, but actually inside. Her first-hand account is already more evidence than Ike has offered us. Ike has asked us to believe him on faith, justified by his claims that he's been proven right over and over again. Ike has frequently proven wrong, usually with something as simple as a Google search and, as we've seen, When he does make a claim he can't pretend he was right about, he just deletes it and pretends he never made it. Remble Garner's account is also far from a glowing review of the World Economic Forum. She's cynical, perhaps rightly so, about the World Economic Forum achieving any more than putting the rich and powerful in the same town together for networking opportunities. Were she a limited hangout, she'd probably downplay the whole thing as completely harmless, or talk the whole thing up as an entirely necessary process for a prosperous global future. Instead, we land somewhere in the middle, with the whole thing sounding, well, tedious. The lands bordering land, the real world, are a tedious place. We live in a tedious world. That's a cynical take, I'll admit, but I think it's a pretty fair test of reality. Land is exciting. It's us versus them, rebels against the Matrix, reptilians in mind control. It's not the kind of place Justin Trudeau gives a speech to an empty room. And look, to Ike's credit... He probably does have a point in so far as Schwab's ability to get these kinds of people together is too much influence for any one person to have, but damned if I know what to do about it. The fact is that Ike misses the point when he claims the attendees of the World Economic Forum are trying to take over the world. These people already do control the world. Who's who in the cult is one thing, but what are the cult actually doing? Ike writes, Today, cult operatives like Schwab at the WEF talk about the Great Reset and Build Back Better, which you will have heard repeated over and over by cult parrots including Biden, Trudeau, Johnson, Ardern, Blair, Obama, Roux in the Netherlands, the UN Secretary General, and so many more. Both terms are expressions of the age-old technique of creative destruction, in which you continually destroy the status quo, replace it with another, and then destroy that to replace it with another. Each new quo moves the world closer to your ultimate goal, which is total global control of every man, woman, and child, and every facet of what would pass for their life. This is what the COVID hoax is all about. Global creative destruction of the 2019 status quo to open the way for the great reset of a transformed human world. Creative destruction is achieved through the perceptual manipulation technique that I have long dubbed Problem-Reaction-Solution, in which you covertly create a problem, tell the public a version of the problem that you want them to believe, and then offer a solution to the problem which changes society in ways that advance your agenda. There is also the technique of No-Problem-Reaction-Solution, PRS, in which you don't need a real problem and only the perception of one by the constant repetition of the same lies. Examples include weapons of mass destruction in Iraq that didn't exist and were used to justify a catastrophic invasion in 2003, and the COVID pandemic and human-caused climate change hoaxes that are being used to transform global society through solutions that install an Orwellian fascist dictatorship founded on surveillance and control overseen by artificial intelligence. History is absolutely peppered with problem-reaction solutions, including the two world wars, and with no-problem-reaction solutions that have triggered a constant stream of creative destruction to drive every new status quo closer to world domination by the few of the many. The bosom buddy of PRS is what I dub the totalitarian tiptoe, in which events are depicted as random and in and of themselves, when together they form a pattern driving society further and further, into dystopian centralization of power. Each step hands ever fewer people control over ever more. An obvious example of this is the European Union, which was originally sold as a free trade zone and became step by step the bureaucratic dictatorship that has dramatically centralised power and control over Europe. Cheese Louise. Ike calls the cult vision for the world the Hunger Games Society, because for some reason all these conspiracy types can only think in references to movies. Usually it's The Matrix, so The Hunger Games is a change of pace at least. Ike writes I have exposed the plan for The Hunger Games society for decades and called it by various names before The Hunger Games movies portrayed just such a society in which a super rich and psychopathic elite lived in extremes of high tech luxury while lording over a population of slaves and serfs living in a barely survivable deprivation. This is what Schwab and his fellow psychopaths call the Great Reset. I collaborate about what a post Great Reset Hunger Games Society looks like. He writes Schwab's Great Reset demands no countries, only sectors, no elections, and decisions to be made by a cabal of technocrats, engineers, and bureaucrats, including medical bureaucrats, in a system known as a technocracy. No mention of a battle royale of teenagers whatsoever. So, why is it the Hunger Games Society at all then? What's James Kahn doing? Is it too late to have a rollerball society instead? Ike gives us some more detail about how the Hunger Games society will be structured, writing, The cult's brave new world can be accurately symbolised as a pyramid, with a tiny few at the peak controlling all wealth and resources through an unelected world government of bureaucrats and technocrats, such as the sinister scientists, physicians, psychologists, and Silicon Valley crazies of the COVID years. Literally every move you make will be monitored by AI, and registered for compliance or otherwise. As with the social credit score system in China, on which the Global Control Blueprint is based. Lose enough credits in China for non-compliant behaviour, and you can't fly, board a train, work, or eat. This is the real reason for so-called vaccine passports, or green passes, which are so named in preparation for the rapidly fusing COVID and green agendas, orchestrated by the same cult operatives. Some countries may have rolled them back, but they will return when other excuses can be found. Social credits through the passports will be accompanied by carbon credits when you will have a carbon allocation, and products you buy in your lifestyle will be constantly monitored for alleged carbon usage. Once your limit was breached, you would have to be stopped from doing and buying anything with a carbon element. Cult credit card companies are already introducing cards that stop working each month when you reach an agreed carbon limit on the tiptoe to compulsion. Income independent of the state and the global system would be deleted through destruction of businesses, except for the gigantic cult corporations, and through AI seizing remaining employment. From this, we can see what lockdowns were really about with the global economy held below the waterline by COVID restrictions, followed by war and soaring inflation led by energy costs and staggering government spending on COVID. Between the population and the cult 1% or less than 1% in truth, is designed to be a police-military state, with the two forces ultimately amalgamated into one authoritarian, tyrannical force of human control, imposing the will of their masters. Most of this policing and militarization of enforcement would also be AI and not human. We are now seeing AI law enforcement being rolled out on the road to this technological tyranny. Those in uniform today, imposing the will of their perceived superiors and masters, should take note, or those with the brain capacity to do so, that is, Notice how the police have come to look in uniform, armaments and demeanour ever more like the military. The fusion is happening before your eyes via the totalitarian tiptoe. Well, that's a bummer. The Hunger Games Society sounds like a real drag, man. We'll all be living under the constant scrutiny of artificial intelligence, recording our every move and our every sin, denying us food when we don't hang the toilet roll whichever way around the cult prefers. You'll lay awake in bed. Wondering when an unmarked van of militarized cult thugs will pull up, wrap a black bag around your head and steal you off to the cult panopticon for not returning your shopping cart to the store. Ike is really pushing China as the model for what the cult want to implement worldwide, and it's a point he comes back to a lot that we haven't covered yet. But trust me, you'll be sick of hearing about China soon enough. Now, full confession. I've heard so much about the Chinese social credit system that I just assumed it was severe and draconian as you hear it is without ever actually looking to see if it was before preparing this episode. Just goes to show that if you hear something repeated frequently enough, you will start to believe it. Ike certainly believes it. For one, it's not happening as widely as I thought it was, and it's much smaller in scope than the conspiracy theorists would have us believe. Currently, the social credit system is a record kept of dishonest and fraudulent financial behaviour. Although, there has been a lot of discussion and planning around the expansion of what it tracks. There have been a few trial programs by individual Chinese cities to broaden the scope of what the system records to include what the authorities there deem anti-social behaviour, jaywalking, for example, but these aren't widespread and have only been happening on a local level. Furthermore, individuals don't have a numerical social credit score which is impacted by these offences. Instead, a record is attached to their file listing their offence, so not exactly at the point of denying people food for not picking up after their dog. The social credit system in China has a longer and more interesting history than I was aware of, but the point I'm trying to make is that it's far more complicated than Ike is making out. While the Chinese might not have been able to work the bugs out of their AI-powered law enforcement and social compliance, the cult is apparently light years ahead. Ike writes, They are collectively creating the smart grid in which all humans and technology will be connected to the internet through the cloud, To form a hive mind in which perceptions will be delivered directly through a central control system this is why almost everything today is preceded by smart smart televisions smart meters smart cards smart cars smart driving smart pills smart patches smart watches smart skin smart borders smart pavements smart streets smart cities smart communities smart environments smart growth smart planet on and on it goes Smart cities are now being built and other cities converted will be high-rise, densely occupied micro-home megacities of total surveillance and control through AI. Every word, thought, and action, outside or in your own home, will be monitored and stored by the AI supergrid to ensure that you are obeying every decree to the syllable or consequences will follow. But that's not all. Remember, the Hunger Games Society also means AI is going to decimate the economy by replacing us at work. On the bright side, more time for podcasting, more time for listening to podcasts. Eh? Am I right? Thanks to the universal basic income the cult is planning to give us all, I'll still be able to get my, well, so I would think. Luckily, Ike is here to shake me out of my complacency. Ike is deeply suspicious of universal basic incomes, or UBIs, which he sees as, what else? A plot for cult control. Ike writes about it. The idea is to bring the population to its economic knees, control, and then step forward with a solution in which a new system to save the people is swapped for all that the people own. This is the origin of the World Economic Forum mantra that, you will own nothing and be happy. A small, guaranteed income will be paid by government and only if you do everything authority, the cult, tells you to do. So there you go. What sounds like freedom is just another cage. Guess if we want to make more than a pittance, we'll all be enlisting in the military-slash-police force, guarding the 1% from the desperate masses. I just hope the uniforms are suitably, dystopianly chic. You will own nothing and be happy, is a phrase you'll often hear bandied about whenever someone talks about the evil plans of the likes of Schwab and the WEF. It has its origins in an article by Ida Orkin that the WEF published on their website. Orkin's article is a companion piece to an earlier essay she wrote in which she extolled the virtues of the sharing economy and a future where buying products has been replaced by services which provide you with what you need for everyday life. For example, in the future Orkin envisions, you wouldn't own appliances like a fridge or a washing machine. Instead, you would rent them from a service which would maintain or replace them for you when they became obsolete. The idea being that renting them would cost less than buying them and maintaining them with costly repairs yourself. Orkin imagines this becoming the norm for all of the commodities of daily life. Food, clothes, you name it. Orkin never uses the phrase, you will own nothing and be happy. That originated as a meme criticizing Orkin, created from a video that accompanied the article on the WEF website. Orkin has clarified that this isn't how she necessarily envisions the future to be, Nor is it what she would necessarily hope future life would be like, but that she was simply trying to stimulate conversation about the potential of the sharing economy. The WEF has also responded to the criticism of the article by reminding us all that they have no plans to take away our private property. For now, at least. But wait, what about those of us with the foresight to see all this coming? those of us who have been following Ike for years and had the clarity of mind to take all our cash and bury it in the backyard for just such a dystopian occasion. They're out of luck too, I'm afraid. Ike writes, Pressure to impose the Schwab policy of a digital ID would allow not only bank accounts to be seized, but access to anything online blocked by blocking your ID code without which you would not be able to do anything. Obey, or you will become a non-person incapable of feeding yourself or your family. The plan to phase out cash and impose a single global digital currency, which I revealed in the Robots Rebellion in 1993, is all part of forcing people online where their money can be confiscated. The cynical lie by the cult-owned World Health Organization that people could catch COVID by handling money dramatically reduced the use of cash with even small companies and kiosks moving to card-only transactions. Newspapers were quick to point out that, although you could catch COVID from paper money, You could not do so by handling newspapers. The virus, it seems, knew the difference between different types of paper. I asked supermarket staff banning cash why, if you could catch COVID from paper money, they were still selling newspapers. Bewildered looks came back in reply, and no words. My god, the naivety of the human race is breathtaking. Yikes. You'll need to enter a code to use the internet. Old man Schwab is going to know exactly what type of pornography you're into, and which words you can't spell but have been googling to spell check. Schwab doesn't care about that stuff, though. It's about a digital currency and killing cash. Ike has been warning us cash was an endangered species since 1993, apparently. 30 long years and cash is still here. That might say something about Ike's powers of prophecy. Ike would have us believe that one of the many motivations for the cult's COVID-19, quote unquote, hoax, was for the WHO to spread lies and reduce the use of cash and rely on electronic fund transfers. Sounds good, but for one thing, the WHO never said to avoid cash. Well, at least not because of COVID-19 specifically. Asked whether COVID-19 could be spread by cash and coins, a WHO spokesperson was quoted as saying, yes, it's possible, and it's a good question. We know that money changes hands frequently and can pick up all sorts of bacteria and viruses. When possible, it's a good idea to use contactless payments, which sounds like it's confirming what Ike is saying. But the Who letter clarified that they weren't recommending we use contactless payment methods because of COVID-19, but did want to remind people that cash can be dirty, so to wash their hands, especially before eating. As it turns out, Depending on factors like the type of paper the cache is made from, and the humidity of the environment, bacteria and viruses can survive on cash. but there is currently no strong evidence of their transmission from the cache and into our bodies. As I said, the WHO are encouraging us to wash our hands regardless. Probably because they're in the pockets of big soap. Also, newspapers aren't circulated the same way that cash is, so what the hell is Icon about? Unless he's waiting to get his newspaper after 50 or 60 other people have read it first? Breathtaking naivety indeed. As to Ike's claim about cult credit card companies limiting spending based on carbon usage, in April 2019, Swedish fintech startup toconomy partnered with Mastercard to create a credit card with a carbon limit. Rather than having a credit limit like a traditional credit card, the card has a carbon limit tracking your purchases and the CO2 emissions which result and limiting you accordingly. Obviously, this was a single product that people had to sign up for, and it wasn't forced onto anyone. Notice I said was. That's because the card was discontinued last year in 2022. So, that's the Hunger Games Society. Pretty bleak. Some rough terms ahead. But, you know, societies change. Civilizations rise and collapse. We'll just wait it out until we can overthrow the cult controllers. After all... People never change. We'll still be human, right? Wrong. Ike writes, The hive mind of groupthink for which humanity has become infamous is planned to be made technologically official to block access to all free thought by connecting AI to the human brain and body. Self-replicating nanotechnology and living synthetic genetic material identified by proper doctors and scientists in the vials of the COVID fake vaccines are designed to enter the brain and rewire the entire genetic structure for those that it doesn't actually kill in a mass depopulation program. Biological Human 1.0 is being phased out for the synthetic Biological Human 2.0, which will get its thoughts, emotions, and perceptions direct from AI. Not even the manipulation and censorship of information to dictate perception will then be necessary. AI will be your mind. Bloody hell, that's a pretty wild claim. Surely, Ike must have some rock-solid evidence to back something like that up. I mean, all of his other claims have been bullshit, but this could be the one he's right about, right? Well, the COVID-19 vaccine bullshit is so immense that we're going to need to address it all on its own, so put a pin in that for now. As to Ike's claim of our impending ascension to techno-zombies, he cites futurist Ray Kurzweil as his source, writing... This Google executive and futurist, Ray Kurzweil, openly laying out his very plan as his masters seek to sales pitch this horrific end of humanity as the creation of the godlike human. His official period for instigation is 2030, and what he describes is already well underway. Our thinking will be a hybrid of biological and non-biological thinking. Humans will be able to extend their limitations and think in the cloud. We're going to put gateways to the cloud in our brains. We're going to gradually merge and enhance ourselves. In my view, that's the nature of being human. We transcend our limitations. As the technology becomes vastly superior to what we are, then the small proportion that is human gets smaller and smaller and smaller until it's just utterly negligible. So, Kurzweil has made the prediction that brain-computer interfaces of the capability he describes here will be a reality by 2035, so that human beings will be human-machine hybrids, a biology increasingly overtaken by technology. Now, I'm no award-winning futurist, but, as a layman, based on a quick survey of the technical challenges still to be overcome, 2035 sounds optimistic to me. Kurzweil made this prediction in 2015, when 2035 was 20 years away. Far enough away that it sounds feasible, but close enough that it sounds exciting. Like the people in the 1950s who said we'd be living in cities on the moon by the 1970s, years before we'd even landed a manned craft there given the limits of what existing brain computer interfaces are capable of and the invasive surgery needed to implant the necessary components in a living being you can dismiss the claim that self-replicating nanotechnology and synthetic genetic material hidden in the covid 19 vaccines are capable of such a transformation as some wild wild the royal family of lizard people level bullshit Thank you for joining me on another adventure into Ikeland. Next time we'll be looking at the schemes of the cult and their ongoing effort to take control of humanity in greater detail, and with more specific themes in mind, like COVID-19, woke culture, banking, honestly there's very little about modern life that Ike doesn't actually like, so um, yeah, it's ripe territory to explore. Until next time, remember that you too could at any point ascend to a techno-zombie. Thanks for listening.